Tonight, God's Word comes to us once again from 1 Corinthians 14. This evening, we're going to begin our reading at verse 26 and then read through the end of this chapter. First Corinthians 14, beginning at verse 26. What we hear now is God's word. What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two, or at the most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all be encouraged. For the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches. For they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So my brothers earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. Here we end the reading of God's holy word. Well, we have come to the end of this particular section of 1 Corinthians, and we are also nearing the end of this series. We have just two chapters left, and I suspect we'll have probably uh, two sermons on each of those chapters. Uh, this section began back in chapter 11, where Paul was dealing with matters relating to worship. Back in chapter 11, he talked about the place of women in worship, and he talked about difficulties they were having at the Lord's table. Then in chapter 12, he spoke more directly, now concerning spiritual things. That's been the title of the last four sermons, concerning spiritual things. And he took it in that, in chapter 12, talked about spiritual gifts. Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. And reminded us that whatever the church was given, it was given for the upbuilding and the edification of the church. 
He went on in chapter 13, I will now show you a still more excellent way, and talked about love. Love as that context in which the church was to minister and edify itself. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. But the context of love should never end in the church. It is the, it is the, the, the way in which uh, we express our concern for each other. And then we started looking at chapter 14, and particularly the issue of tongues and prophecy. And the problem that was going on in church, they were making a hierarchy of gifts saying that tongues was the highest gift possible. And Paul brings a corrective to them. Paul does not say tongues are a bad thing, but he says they are not for public worship, but for private, to speak to God privately. Prophecy, the declaration of the word of God, that was for public worship because that would edify those who heard. And we talked about understandable worship. Now tonight, as we come to the close of this section and this chapter, I've subtitled our message this evening, Orderly Worship, based on verse 40, but all things should be done decently and in order. Orderly Worship. Probably one of the hallmarks of Reformed worship. Our worship has a particular order and a particular structure. In fact, some suggest uh, we are so orderly in worship, we have structured out the possibility for the Spirit to work in worship. I've had that charge made before. You guys are so orderly, you're so rigorous, you leave no room for the Spirit. We're going to talk about that tonight, about spirit-filled worship in the context of orderly worship. In our own church order, which is the small booklet that tells uh, URC churches what their requirements are, there are only two texts from Scripture that are quoted. One of those texts is Matthew 18 in the context of Christian discipline toward repentance, and the other text is 1 Corinthians 14, verse 40. Let all things be done decently and in order. Paul addresses a church that was not orderly. And he comes and he gives them correctives, instructions as to how they are properly to worship God. First, he talks to those who would speak in the church. Now, I don't know where I got this idea from, but my kind of impression of New Testament worship is that there was a lot of talking going on. It was very participatory. One would speak here and one would speak here and they'd all have something to say. In fact, I talked with someone not so long ago who was planting a church, not a reformed church, but planting another church, and I said, what's the worship going to be like? And he said, oh, it's going to be just like the New Testament. Everybody's going to have a chance to speak. We're all going to talk together. That's certainly not Paul's instruction for what the New Testament church is to look like. Look at verse 26. When you come together, brothers, everyone has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, an interpretation. Let all things be done for upbuilding 
if any speak in a tongue, let there be only two, or at the most, three. It was not this frenetic worship where they're all speaking in tongues everywhere. Let there be two, or at the most, three. With regard to prophecy, verse 29, let two or three prophets speak. So New Testament worship wasn't this free-for-all. It wasn't this frenzied activity where everybody gets their turn. But only two or three should speak. And when they speak, they should speak in an orderly way. Again from verse 27, if any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at the most three, and each in turn. So again, not this, not this crazy babbling going on, but two or three, and, and each speak in turn. Again, from prophets, let two or three prophets speak. Let the others, way would have said, if a revelation is made to someone sitting there, let the first be silent, for you can all prophesy one by one. Not a frenzied activity of someone speaking here and someone speaking here and someone speaking in the back, but orderly, understandable worship. That they could be instructed, that they could be taught, that it would edify the body. We read in verse 28, with regard to the tongues, but if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. If there is no interpreter, don't speak at all. Don't just get up and start speaking in a tongue if there's no one to interpret. There's structure. There's order. That is the nature of corporate worship because it is corporate. We worship together as a body. We don't gather tonight simply as a whole bunch of individuals who happen to occupy the same space. But we come together as the body of Christ. And there is structure and there is order that the church might be built up. Verse 31, they can prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged order, structure. And the reason for that, verse 33, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. The reason we have orderly worship is because God is orderly. God is a God of order. And our worship reflects something of who we understand God to be. He is a God who is orderly, and he wants to be worshipped in that way. So Paul says, control yourselves. Don't let this frenzied activity go on. Don't say, I was just moved by the Spirit. I had to speak. No, look what he says in verse 32. And the Spirit of prophets are subject to prophets. We don't say, I was just moved by the Spirit. No, the Spirit of prophets are subject to the prophets. And that shouldn't surprise us. 
when we think about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Self-control is the fruit of the Spirit. This is where the Spirit works. In worship that is like our God. Orderly, structured, self-controlled worship. For we have a God who has spoken to us. That's where he begins this, this section, verse 26. You come together, one has a hymn, literally a psalm, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, an interpretation. All of these are verbal revelations. Again, our worship reflects our understanding of God. And we have a God who has spoken to us. A God who has spoken to us now in His Holy Word. And our worship reflects that. A God who speaks in His Word. And so our worship, rather than being this frenzied activity, is orderly and it is Word-centered. I don't know if you ever thought about that. How much of our worship service comes from the Word of God? We begin our service and we have a call to worship from God's Word. We have a blessing from the Lord from God's Word. We sing songs of praise, many of them from God's Word, the Psalms themselves. In the morning, we have a confession of sin and assurance of pardon from God's Word. In the prayer that we pray, there's often quotations from God's Word, and we spend most of our time listening to the preaching of the Word. Our worship is Word-centered because that's what builds up. That's what God desires. Verse 26, let all things be done for building up. It is through the Word that the Spirit works. The preaching of the Word is the tool of the Holy Spirit. And so Paul gives this corrective. The New Testament church was not this frenzied activity. Everyone being moved by the Spirit and speaking as the Spirit moved them. No, there was to be order. There was to be structure. There was to be a focus on the Word of God for the edification of God's people. Paul goes on and he mentions once again uh, women in the church. Uh, Paul does not spend a lot of time on this, only two verses, so we're not going to spend a lot of time on this. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Obviously, there was a problem that the women were coming to church and were speaking and asking a lot of questions. Now, this is a text that sounds a lot like another text. This is a text that sounds a lot like 1 Timothy chapter 2. In 1 Timothy 2, we read this. 
Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. 1 Timothy 2 addresses those who are to speak with authority in the church. And 1 Timothy 2 says very clearly, women are not to get up and to teach with authority in the church. But that's not this text. Don't just throw these two texts together. Because they say something very different from each other. Verses 34 and 35 Paul is making a point with regard to women in the church, and he makes his point twice. Verses 34 and 35 are parallel to each other in structure. First, they talk about the nature of how or when a woman should speak or not. Then they talk about where a woman should speak or not. And finally, the reason why a woman should speak or not. We're going to start with that last one. The reason why a woman should speak or not in the church. Again, Paul's going to make one point twice. In verse 34, he says the reason why a woman should not speak is that she should be in submission as the law says. She should demonstrate proper submission. In verse 35, she should not speak, for it is shameful for the woman to speak in church. Now with regard to where the woman should speak or not, in verse 34, they should keep silent in the churches. They should not speak in the churches. In verse 35, he says, if they're going to speak, let them speak at home. These two are parallel to each other. And now the nature of that speech, verse 34, women should keep silent. Verse 35, the parallel, if they want to learn anything, let them ask their husbands. What was going on is that women were going to the church and asking questions about the faith. This is not a text about women teaching, it's a text about women learning and asking questions. And there was obviously a failure going on for their husbands instructing them at home. So they had to go to the church and ask the questions there. What, 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 what Paul is saying here is really a, a tacit uh, shaming of the husbands. It is shameful. If your wife has to come to church and ask her questions, it means you're not doing your job at home. If she wants to learn, she should learn there from you. So when she comes to church, she doesn't have to ask the elders, doesn't have to ask the questions. It's really a condemnation of the husbands because the women were being forced to ask their questions in church. They wanted to learn and their husbands were not teaching them at home. Husbands, are we fulfilling 
our obligation to our wives? Are we fulfilling our obligation to help them grow in the faith? They should not have to come to the elders. They should not have to come to the ministers to ask their questions. But you should be instructing them, teaching them, encouraging them, answering those questions at home. That's Paul's point when he says women should keep silent in the churches. And then he brings his argument to a close. Verse 37, if anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of God. Remember the problem was dealing with spiritual things. And they were thinking that they were so spiritual because they were speaking in tongues. In their mind, the highest of the gifts. Paul says, if you are really that spiritual, if you are really that in tune with what God wants in the worship service, then you will acknowledge the word I am teaching you. The word that comes with full apostolic authority, you will listen to me. Which is why he has these rhetorical questions. Or, or was it with you, that the word, from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones who've heard the word? Paul says, no, if you think you are spiritual, if you think you know, then acknowledge the truth of what I'm saying. They thought that they knew better, a better way. A more exciting way. Paul says, no. Do it God's way. Verse 38. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So, my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy. Do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. Prophecy, the declaration of the Word of God. This is the character of, of Christian worship. This is the character of Spirit-filled worship. It is done decently and in order, with the Word at the center. If you want Spirit-filled worship, then you want Word-filled worship. Because as I said, the Word of God is the tool of the Holy Spirit. The Word of God and the declaration of that Word is the tool that the Holy Spirit uses to convict hearts and minds to change lives. You want to see the Spirit active? Come and listen to preaching. A Word-centered service. Come and hear the call of the Gospel. What God has done for us that we were fallen and sinful, dead in our sins, couldn't do anything to save ourselves, and God, simply because of His love and mercy, chose a people for His very own, brought them to faith, and incorporated them into the body of Christ. That's the work of the Spirit. That's what happens when the Gospel is declared. God, by His Spirit, brings people in to the fellowship. And so that's why the call of the gospel goes out again tonight. 
If you are here and do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, or if you're playing at other types of worship, so-called spirit-filled, come to where the Word is declared. Humble yourself before God and His Word. As Psalm 138 says, you have exalted above all things your name and your Word. Humble yourselves before the Word of God and embrace the glorious gospel of Christ, what he has done for us. Worship, still a hot topic today. There were issues going on in Paul's day. There are issues going on yet today. Many opinions out there as to what spirit-filled worship looks like. If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, He should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. Look for God's voice through the word by the Spirit in the worship service. Worship according to his word, according to his character. A God who wants things done decently and in order. A God who reveals himself in his holy word. Because that will be truly for the upbuilding and edification of the body. Let's join together in prayer. Lord our God, we thank you that you have chosen to speak to us in your holy word. You've exalted above all things your name and your word. Help us, O God to humble ourselves before that word. If we believe we are spiritual, if we believe we know, help us to recognize the truth of the commands which you have written down for us. We know that we are weak and we are frail and we so easily would become distracted by wanting something more exciting, something more miraculous, But help us to recognize, oh God, there is nothing more miraculous than when the gospel takes a heart of stone and turns it to a heart of flesh. That is the work of your Holy Spirit. Give us a conviction that we must worship as you have called us, because you are a God who has spoken, and you are a God of order. Hear our prayer, oh God, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Let's turn to 393 in the Trinity Psalter hymnal. 393. Spirit of God, dwell thou within my heart. Wean it from earth through all its pulses move. Stoop to my weakness, mighty as thou art, and make me love thee as I ought to love. I ask no dream, no prophet ecstasies, No sudden rending of the veil of clay, no angel visitant, no opening skies, but take the dimness of my soul away. Hast thou not bid us love thee, God and King, love thee with all thine own soul, heart, and strength, and mind? I see the cross. There teach my heart to cling. We're going to sing just verses 1, 2, and 3, number 393. Let's stand together. Thank you. 
receive the parting blessing of our God. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Thank you.